Cure International, we're a global network of eight pediatric hospitals celebrating 25 years of helping children with treatable disabilities such as cleft lip and palate, club foot, bowed legs, burn contractures, spina bifida, brain tumors, and hydrocephalus. By establishing pediatric hospitals within countries where disability is often prevalent and overlooked, CURE can provide access to continuous care for children in need. CURE also focuses on spiritual care. From outreach to surgery to the last visit, our ministry is determined to share God's love with every patient and family that CURE meets because knowing God's love brings lasting comfort to those suffering. And because we're all about healing at Cure, we go beyond healing the children and their families by supporting the country as a whole. So children who don't have access to a Cure hospital can still receive world-class treatment where Cure-trained doctors carry on our mission. By partnering with community churches, national healthcare organizations, and local ministries of health, we help build and empower the healthcare systems of our host countries from the ground up. Cure is the children we treat, the communities we serve, the people we work alongside. And finally, Cure is you, our partners who make it all possible. In the years ahead, we aim to double the number of children we serve because the need is growing. So we have to do the same. That means more surgery, more spiritual care, and more healing for the most vulnerable. You've heard God's call to help heal children who are suffering. It's incredible what's accomplished when we work together under our mission of healing the sick and proclaiming the kingdom of God. I love that we're getting this chance as a church to partner with Cure International and what they're doing. Over the last two weeks, we've been hosting our VBSs and our Kesslinga campus, and the kids have been raising money for this. Janae and I have also been uh, trying to be the dancers for VBS. Janae was succeeding. I was there. Um, and uh, it was a lot of fun. But the, the most fun part for us is Janae and I got to host the missions station for the kids. So every day we'd be kind of encouraging the kids to, to give generously and to, to be a part of that. Over the course of the last two weeks, the kids of our church have raised over $10,000 for Cure International. It's incredible. Incredible generosity from these kids. And I really think that we should follow the lead of our kids, that we too should be generous and that we should seize this opportunity to give to the work of God through Cure National in Zambia. Uh, they're doing an incredible work out there, and we have the opportunity, if we can raise $150,000 together as a church, to help them build a new facility and staff it with doctors uh, so that more kids can get care. Uh, and I love this because we, we often get kind of lost. We don't always see what God's doing out in nations far away from us. It's very easy to be kind of focused on what's happening here. And yet, what we're a part of when we become a part of God's family is a family that covers the globe. And we have brothers and sisters in Zambia. We have incredible leaders in Zambia that are building the kingdom there, that are doing God's work there. And our opportunity as their family is to give what we can to be a part of that. So if you want to give, I just want to encourage you, there's a number of ways you can do it. We're going to be kind of looking at this for a couple of weeks and challenging ourselves to it to reach our goal uh, and so you can give through our app, you can give online. Uh, if you want to give uh, tangibly in person as well, you can do so, but please make sure that any checks you write are, are given to serve the world so that we can make sure it goes to the right place. Uh, but I also just want to pray for us as a church because it's easy to kind of get into the rhythm of let's do something generous without letting our hearts truly 
come and join with God in what he's doing. So let's, let's pray together. Father God, thank you for this chance uh, to join you in what you're doing for the people of Zambia through Cure International. God, we cannot begin to fathom your great love for these people and your passion for this work. And so God, we pray that we would get a glimpse of it. And Father, that this in this season, you would enable us to give generously. You'd help us to keep this at the forefront of our mind. And Lord, that we would join you in what you're doing. Lord, we pray all this in the name of your perfect, wonderful, and generous son. Amen. Well, uh, Wednesday of the week, I'm usually getting a little stressed because I am trying to figure out my illustrations for my sermon. You know, I've kind of got some notes together. Now I've got to come up with some good stories. But what I love is Thursday mornings because on Thursday morning, we have our preaching team meeting together as a church. So it's the chance for the lesser quality preachers like myself to come in and kind of mine Pastor Brian or Pastor Jeff for some good stories. Pastor Brian came through for me this week. I want to tell you about the world's dumbest criminals, okay? I didn't know this, but there's a whole show dedicated to the world's dumbest criminals that tell the stories like the ones I'm about to tell you, but they're going to be very helpful today. Um, Let me tell you about this one. So there was a set of thieves uh, who decided that they were going to rob an ATM machine. And the way that they kind of creatively decided they would do this is to use a blowtorch. So they got the blowtorch, and they started melting through the ATM machine. They get through its frame, and then what's immediately inside the machine is cash, which is made from paper. So the thieves who are knocking off this ATM machine set fire to their loot and burn it all. (laughs) Terrible. But that's not the dumbest thing out there. There was a criminal who decided to uh, rob a house, broke in, collects all the goodies, but then on his way out, he sees that the owner of the home had a smartphone, so he decides to pick it up and take a selfie of himself in the house that he's robbing, and then post it to his social media, which the guy he's robbing was on. So they saw very quickly the guy that was robbing them. They were able to arrest him, bring him in. Still not the dumbest, though. The dumbest is a man from my home country, unfortunately, who decided to rob a bookmaker with a cucumber. He decided that the most fearsome weapon he could find was a cucumber stuffed in a black sock. Doesn't look remotely like a gun, but okay. So he goes into the bookmaker, holds them up with his cucumber, demands the cash, The guards immediately see through it and tackle this guy to the ground. And on the way out, as the police were arresting him, he says, am I getting the jail for this? He's just not really a bright fellow, right? Not a bright fellow at all. Well, we're traveling through the book of Proverbs in pursuit of wisdom, learning wisdom. And one of the best ways you can learn wisdom is to see the contrast of wisdom, foolishness. That's what we're talking about this week. And Solomon, in the book of Proverbs, has this incredibly creative way of helping us to understand foolishness and wisdom. He's going to tell us about these two characters. You see, the the opening chapters of Proverbs, chapters 1 through 9, are kind of this poetic story of a father writing to his son and telling him about two women, the woman of wisdom and the woman of folly, or foolishness. He tells him various things about them, but he he wants his son to understand that both of these characters are calling out to him. That both wisdom and folly are calling out to him, and his son has the choice to decide what kind of path he's going to follow. And that's Solomon helping all of us, all of us who would seek God's wisdom, all of us who would want to fill our lives with God's wisdom, to understand that there's two voices calling out to us, and we get to choose which one we're going to chase. Each of us, We'll pursue one of these two by default. All of us are traveling either towards the character of wisdom or the character of foolishness. 
The only choice is which one. And Proverbs offers us a chance to examine ourselves, consider where we are traveling, and change direction. But in order to do that, we're going to have to see three things. First, where foolishness begins. Second, where foolishness multiplies. And lastly, where foolishness ends. So let's see where foolishness begins. Now, occasionally in my house, there is a terrifying moment where I'm sitting on the couch, I'm relaxing, and then I hear these words. Did you hear what I just said to you? (laughs) Usually said by Janae. She's laughing because she says this very regularly. She can't stand it. I'll be on the couch and she'll come in and she'll probably have given me like a fairly large amount of important information and I was lost in some iPad game or something like that. And I have two choices in that moment. I can either acknowledge that I have not listened or I can try and cheat my way through it. But Janae's learned to, instead of just saying, did you hear me, to say, hey, could you repeat back to me what I just said? Because that's inescapable, Right? I didn't listen to the voice of the wise woman in my house. And what foolishness is, is not listening to the wise woman of Proverbs. This is what it said in Proverbs 9, 10 through 18. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is insight. For by me your days will be multiplied, years will be added to your life. If you are wise, you are wise for yourself. And if you scoff, you alone will bear it. The woman of folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, turn in, here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, and that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. See, we're told that wisdom calls out to us. Wisdom is calling out to us constantly. The wisdom of God is asking us to come, to know him, to follow him, to experience the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of the Holy One, and yet there is another call, the call of the woman of folly. And this character is loud, we're told. She's seductive. She's enticing. That's different how we normally think about foolishness, isn't it? Sometimes we kind of laugh at foolishness and think it's this obviously destructive thing that can be avoided. And yet what the Bible says is actually foolishness is alluring. Foolishness is enticing. Foolishness offers us an alternative path to the path of wisdom. Gerhard von Rad, who's a scholar of wisdom literature, very well known, talks about Proverbs and Ecclesiastes a lot. And what he says is that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is kind of a competency with the regard to the realities of life. It's becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. And so by contrast, what we can learn is that foolishness is being out of touch with the realities of life. Foolishness is not listening to the voice, not hearing the call of wisdom. So what are the realities of life that we're talking about? When I say that we're out of touch if we're a fool, what does that mean? What realities are we out of touch with? Well, the first is this, is that we're out of touch with the reality of God himself. Foolishness begins with the denial of the reality of God. We're told that wisdom calls out to us to know God. It says, come and know the knowledge of the Holy One. And then we're told that this this folly, this woman of folly, doesn't have knowledge at all. Doesn't have knowledge of the Holy One. That's the contrast. The wise has knowledge of the Holy One. The fool has none. In Psalm 14, verse 1, we're told that the fool says in his heart, there is no God. 
They are corrupt and do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. See, when we deny the reality of God, we immediately leave the path of wisdom. Because there is no wisdom apart from God. All of life, we're told in the book of Colossians, was created by him and for him. The book of Proverbs lays out for us again and again that the entire tapestry of all creation, all the rules of everything, morality, love, all of it is founded upon God. And so you can't become wise, you can't become competent to any reality of life without God. Without the reality of God, you become unmoored, you drift into a vast ocean of questions about your identity, about your value, about your purpose. And without God, you are forced to answer all of those questions with something less than God, something temporary or something fickle. But perhaps that's why foolishness is so seductive. Because what foolishness says to us is, you don't need God. You can do it. You can figure it out. You can come to all the answers you need by yourself. You can define your own purpose. You can define your own identity. You can become whatever it is you want to be. And that's alluring. If foolishness is a denial of the reality of God, then embracing the call of foolishness allows us to believe that we can recreate ourselves however we choose. There's an interesting line in verse 17 of Proverbs chapter 9. It says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. That's the woman of folly. She says this to those who are coming. She says, Stolen water is sweet, bread eaten in secret is pleasant. What she means is things gained through unrighteous means might seem more sweet and pleasant than what is obtained through righteousness. Seems better, seems sweeter, seems more pleasant to do it our way than to do it God's way. That's true, isn't it? Folly is trying to convince her hearers that it's better to walk your own path than God's. Second reality that fools are out of touch with is that God is better at his job than we are. They're out of touch with that. Fools believe the lie that we can create something sweeter for ourselves than God can. It's the same lie that we were told from the very beginning of the story of God. It was the voice of folly who called out to Adam and Eve and promised them that they could create for themselves something better than God had created for them. And it was enticing to them. And all of us wrestle with that same sensation every day. That we might be wise enough to create something for ourselves better than God could. That we can design a life for ourselves better than the one that God invites us to be a part of. And the great tragedy of foolishness is that it will never deliver on the promises that it makes. Ever. It will promise you things that it cannot provide. Foolishness is incredibly destructive in our lives. And more than that, it's, in, it's destructive in the lives of people around us. To deny the reality of God. To deny his goodness. And finally, to deny another reality that's so important, that there are consequences to living as our own masters. See, fools are out of touch with the reality that we cannot live as our own masters. There are consequences to that. There is destruction that follows that. We can't treat and use our body however we want and expect there to be no consequences. We can't treat people however we want and expect them 
not to suffer. Expect to have a good friends and, and strong family without investing in them, caring for them, providing for them. We can't live selfishly and expect it not to have consequences in society around us. This is what wisdom sees. It sees that there are consequences to all these things. So do you begin to see how different the biblical portrait of foolishness is than what we normally think? Foolishness isn't just simple errors in judgment or making bad decisions. It is a willful, intentional rejection of the reality of God and the world that he's made. It's an embracing of our own judgment over his, our own way over his. It is the decision to place anything in your life, including yourself, over God as a priority. And when we see where foolishness begins, we can see that it multiplies, it grows. It's more common in our lives than we care to admit, where foolishness multiplies. Now, I, I think it goes without saying, I get the reputation as the resident nerd at Chapel Street. I love all the superheroes and the sci-fi and stuff. But I'm a very particular type of nerd. There are lots of types of nerds at Chapel Street. So I don't, you know, I don't think I am the only nerd. For example, it is without question that Jeff Frazier is a C.S. Lewis nerd. He also knows far more about sports than I know about Marvel. Brian is a sports nerd too, right? He can give you all these stories and facts about it. He's a nerd too. He's just a different type of nerd. Sterling is a carpentry nerd. That's a really boring kind of nerd. <laughs> he would be very angry if you see him. But I, I love that he knows all those things. He knows all these inside things about carpentry. I don't, but that's his thing. He's a nerd. We're all nerds. We're just different types of nerds, right? Well, the truth is, is that foolishness begins in our heart, but there's a lot of ways it expresses itself. The truth is we're all fools. It's just a question of what kind of fool are we going to be? What kind of fool are we going to be? You see, Proverbs outlines a few different types of fools for us. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? In that one verse, in chapter one of Proverbs, there's three different types of fools. There's the simple fool, the scoffing fool, and the prideful fool. And they recan, recan, recan throughout the entire book of Proverbs, these different types of fools. The simple fool, we're told in this verse, how long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? It's a Hebrew word, pathi. And it always gets translated simple. It occurs many times in Proverbs. And basically, the simple fool is one who is too easily led and influenced by things around them. They will chase after anything that offers them, even the mildest affirmation or approval, led by impulses. We're told in Proverbs 14, 15, the simple believes everything. The pathy believes everything. But the prudent gives thought to his steps. Now, I want to make sure that we're clear that what we're not saying here is that people who haven't had schooling or training or experience are simple fools. That's not the kind of fool that Proverbs is talking about. The simple fool, actually, in the view of Proverbs, can be some of the smartest people you know, some of the most well-trained people you know. And actually, some of the people in the world that have the least schooling or experience can be some of the wisest because they are not ruled by their impulses. They are not led by their desires. They do not believe everything they hear. They consider their steps carefully. And there can be simple fools in church. 
People who are involved in 10 different ministries but are committed to none of them. People who are not faithful or consistent in their pursuit of God. But to go whatever tickles their ears. The Bible talks a lot about this. It says people who are blown around by every wind of doctrine. That's the simple fool. The one who, who is enticed by anything that nourishes them. In the, even the smallest amount, they'll chase it rather than stay put. Second type of fool is the scoffing fool, which is a brilliant word to say, the scoffer. It's a Hebrew word, lasim, and sometimes it's translated as mocker as well in Proverbs, the scoffer or the mocker. And the scoffing fool despises listening and discussion. They are wise in their own eyes, and they love to stir up strife and division and conflict. We're told in Proverbs 29.8, scoffers set a city aflame but the wise turn away wrath. There's plenty of scoffers out in the world today, isn't there? Love to critique and to tear down. All you need to do is take a quick look on social media. Any one of those platforms, you will find scoffers everywhere. Those who want to cause division and fight and argue, argue and ridicule those with whom they disagree. And some of them call themselves Christians. Some of them say, I'm a follower of Jesus. And yet out of their mouth pour ridicule and mockery. Now, I'm not suggesting at all that reason critique is bad. Christians should be a people who are competent in critiquing the culture around us and being thoughtful. But the difference with the scoffer is that their heart has become so fixated with ridiculing. Love to tear other people down. See, even God will mock on occasion those who oppose him. There's, a, there's a occurrences in Scripture where God will mock, but his heart is always to build up and to care for and to provide. The scoffer wants to tear down, wants to destroy. In our age, scoffing is easy. Wisdom is hard. Scoffing is easy, but patient and thoughtful discussions are hard. And scoffing has infiltrated our politics, it's infiltrated all of our discussions with our neighbors, it's infiltrated our churches. And if we are to be a people of wisdom, we need to learn from James that we should consider our words very carefully. Ridicule is not the way of Jesus. It brings destruction. As we're told in Proverbs, it sets cities aflame. It damages our relationships, and most of all, it obscures the heart of a God who does not ridicule us, but deals with us gently, patiently, and tenderly. And the world is sometimes being blinded to the reality of who God is, because those who follow him are ridiculing them. We must be very careful not to follow that path. Last kind of fool that's mentioned in Proverbs 1 is the prideful fool. It says right at the end, this one phrase, fools hate knowledge. This is a Hebrew word, kasil, and it's the most common word in Proverbs for fool. That's why it gets translated as fool here. And it has this connotation of one who is arrogant, inflexible, unteachable. Proverbs 15.5 says, The fool despises his father's instruction, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. See, the prideful fool is one who is incapable of navigating the challenges of life because they can only do things one way, their own. They don't seek counsel, they don't seek change. They don't want to change their schedule to make more space for community and accountability, and so they suffer from isolation and loneliness. 
They don't want to change their lifestyle to avoid temptation, and so they get stuck on the same cycle of destructive behaviors. They don't want to examine themselves to find places of anger or laziness or bitterness, and so they continue to hurt the people that they care about. See, following the path of wisdom, there's constant growth and change and examination, and it can be uncomfortable, it can be inconvenient, but it's good. And it makes us better people. The fool avoids that path. Sadly, there was a lot of people like that in Jesus' day. People who would like to attend and hear his words, but not allow them to make an impact in their life. So yeah, I'll follow you, Jesus, until you ask me to give generously. I'm inflexible there. I'll follow you, Jesus, until you ask me to forgive my enemies. I'm inflexible there. I'll follow you, Jesus, until you ask me to serve those who won't reward me. I'm inflexible there. I'll follow you until you ask me to give you my marriage or my sexuality or my parenting or my career. Always wrestle with that. If I'm honest with you, there's a prideful fool in my heart who all too often resists the work of God who is trying to change me, grow me, sharpen me. Foolishness is far more common than we care to admit. It hides in our hearts and it multiplies and it grows in our lives if we're not careful. So what we need to know is we need to know where foolishness ends. We've seen where foolishness begins, where it multiplies. How does it end? How can we escape this? Proverbs tells us this, chapter nine, verses one through six. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table and she has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread. Drink of the wine I've mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. See, King Solomon, once again in this poem, he's trying to get us to understand the heart of wisdom is to care for us and to provide for us. If foolishness begins when we believe the lie that we don't need God, it ends when we accept our need. Foolishness ends when we accept his promise that he can lead us better than we can lead ourselves. He loves us better than we love ourselves. He cares for us better than we can care for ourselves. Sometimes what happens when we discover foolishness in the corners of our heart is we react really strongly against it. And our response can kind of remain unwise because we don't really hear the promises of God. What we say is, okay, I'm going to deal with foolishness in my life. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to make sure I'm getting tons of critique. I'm going to pray. But what's wrong with that? Well, foolishness, remember, is trusting ourselves more than God. So why would we think we can escape it by doing more ourselves? Why would we think that the answer to our foolishness is to work it off, to do more. No. We have to be carried out of foolishness. We have to be carried out of foolishness by the vision, an authentic vision, of God's love and grace and wisdom. He has to retrieve us from our foolishness. 
We have to come to our senses and realize we have become completely out of touch with who God is. We've misunderstood him. We've mislabeled him. We've mischaracterized him. He is one who cares for us, loves us, is devoted to us. That vision will set you free from foolishness because it will allow God to carry you out of it and bring you to himself. All of us need to learn to say, we have been fools. See, that's what the message of the gospel is all about. It's getting in touch with the reality of God's love. Understanding God's grace. That even in our foolishness, wisdom would love us and come for us. You will never let go of your foolishness until you've seen the love of God in Christ. It'll be too frightening. It'll be too difficult. Why would you stop your mocking? Why would you stop your pride? Why would you stop the simplicity and the naivety if you don't have something better to replace it? Jesus says in Matthew 7, in a sermon that he's preaching about wisdom and foolishness, one of the most famous stories he tells, he says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Those are the words of wisdom. Jesus invites us to build our lives on him instead of the other fickle things that we do that fall And do you hear his heart behind that story? It's not mockery of the fool. It's compassion. He says, I don't want you to experience catastrophe. I don't want you to experience ruin. I don't want your house to fall. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Think about that. He says, I want you to build your life on my words. And those were his words. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That frees the simple fool because it means he's meeting his needs. Doesn't need to chase them after himself anymore. He says, take my yoke upon yourselves. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. That frees the scoffer because it teaches him gentleness and tenderness because that's the heart of God. And it frees the prideful because now you've got someone better to learn from than yourself. But there's more than that hidden in Matthew 7. Do you notice in Proverbs 9 that we read, it starts by saying that wisdom has built her house. And then Jesus, thousands of years later, would say, come build your house on me. The woman of wisdom also says in, in chapter 9, come eat my bread and drink my wine. Who else said that? Jesus. Jesus said, come, eat my body, the bread, drink my blood, the wine. Jesus is saying, I'm the voice of wisdom. I'm the one that was calling out all those ages before. Come to me. I'll provide for you. I'll care for you. I'll lead you. To bring an end to your foolishness, you've got to come to him. To end your foolishness, you've got to become a new kind of fool. A new sort of fool, a fool for Christ. 
In his letter to the Corinthians, Paul wanted that church to understand, you have got to become foolish in the eyes of the world. He says to them, chapter 1, verse 25, the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Chapter 3, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. In chapter 4, verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we are in disrepute. Do you see the message of the gospel is to become a new kind of fool? Is to bring an end to your foolishness by becoming a fool for Christ. All of us are fools. All of us. We get to choose what kind of fool we're going to be though. We can be a fool in the eyes of God by choosing to lead ourselves, or we can be a fool in the eyes of the world by trusting ourselves to Jesus. To follow Christ in this life, you will almost certainly be thought of as a fool by many. To give your life to a man who offered salvation by allowing himself to be crushed and crucified. By following a God who calls you to love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. To serve a king who rules not by authority and domineerance, but by service and humility. And who invites you likewise to find your prosperity in generosity. There was once a man who was so convinced of the wisdom of following this Jesus who would say these things, he decided he was going to give everything he had to following him. He trained for many years to prepare to go out and to tell the story of this Jesus, this one who was wisdom incarnate. And he went to the jungles of Ecuador to tell indigenous tribes about this Jesus. And he was met with his own death when he was speared by that tribe. And the news of that death was broadcast all around the world, him and his friends who were all there. Magazines covered it, news reported on it. And I would bet there was probably a lot of people around the world who said that man was a fool to have done what he did. Lost his life because he was preaching this Jesus. But you know what that man said? He left us these words. That man said this, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep the game what he cannot lose. That man knew he was no fool. Man's name was Jim Elliott. He was a missionary to a tribe in Ecuador. The tribe that killed him have now been completely transformed by the message of Jesus. That man's wife, Jim Elliott's wife, Elizabeth, met her husband's killers. Sat at a table, they ate together, forgave. Now a ministry that's impacting thousands, if not millions of people, grew because one man made a decision to be a fool for Christ, to give what he couldn't keep, to gain what he couldn't lose. That's the choice that lies before all of us who seek wisdom. To give what we cannot keep, to gain what we cannot lose. And I hope you understand, church, that we're all fools who come to Christ. And yet for every one of us, despite our foolishness, there is no ridicule, there is no mockery, there is no shame. There is only a savior, a crucified savior who stands ready to receive you with love and tenderness and care, 
who prepares a table for you. He is ready to receive anyone who would be his fool. I'm excited to end this morning by doing something a little different. We celebrate regularly here at Chapel Street by coming to the Lord's table. And I was struck this week reading Proverbs chapter nine and reading those words of wisdom, the, the call of the woman of wisdom who said, come and eat my bread and drink my wine. Do you know every time we come to the Lord's table, we are pursuing wisdom because we are reminding ourselves of the one who was wisdom for us, who gave himself to provide for us and to lead us and to care for us. And so that's what we're gonna do this morning. We're gonna worship and we're gonna come to the table of the one who is wisdom. And we are gonna eat his bread and drink his wine so that our hearts will be nourished and reminded of what it is we need to let go of. Our own efforts, our own wisdom to know him. So if you received it when you came in, I want you to take this out. If you didn't, just put your hand up and our ushers will grab one for you. And I just wanna remind you as well, this is not, Our table, this is Jesus' table. You don't need to be a member here at Chapel Street to engage in this. You don't need to be a perfect person to engage in this. Lord knows I'm a sinner and I come to the Lord's table because I'm a sinner. Because I'm broken. Because I'm a fool. And I need his wisdom. So all you need to participate in this is a faith that Jesus is your wisdom. If you believe, if you trust that he has given himself for you, And this is for you to come and to take. And if you're unsure, if you're still struggling through that, that's okay too. I would invite you to take these moments to reflect on the words of Jesus and to try and take this symbol that we all celebrate and wonder about it. If you want to take that bottom layer off and take out this small piece of bread, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, last night of his life, he sat with his dearest friends and he said, This is my body that is broken for you. Whenever you gather together, take this and eat it in remembrance of me. Let's remember our wisdom this morning. In the same way after that, Jesus took a cup at the table, a cup of wine. I want you to peel that second layer off. What he said about this is he said this is my blood that is poured out for you as part of a new covenant, a new promise, the forgiveness of sins to all who trust in him. Take it and drink it this morning and remember that because of Christ, you've been washed clean. There is no shame, there is no fear, there is only wisdom. Drink this. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that we would be fools for your son, Jesus. Lord, so often we practice a form of foolishness that leads to catastrophe and ruin. We live apart from you, against you. And so God, we pray that whenever we would gather together as your people, you would give us a better vision of your son who reminds us he is our wisdom. He is our everything. And that in him are all the riches of wisdom and knowledge. Lord, may we be led by him. May we lay ourselves down for him. And Lord, may you make us wise, not in the eyes of the world, but in yours. 
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to thank you for worshiping with us today. It's always good to be together to celebrate. I think, is Chris Tondola around here somewhere as well? So good to see you back, brother. We've been praying for you all. Hey, well, I just want to remind you on the way out, if there's any way that we can serve you, encourage you, please come let us know. We have prayer teams that can pray with you. We can pray in the prayer room so you can have some more privacy. But we want to be a people that come around one another and pursue this path of wisdom together. Uh, We'd love for you to go by our welcome desk as well and see some of the opportunities we have coming up to serve, to be involved. We have a serve day at Schneider coming up this month, uh, amongst other things, so please do make sure you mark your calendars for that. But otherwise, let me leave you with today's benediction. May we go in the name of the one who has called to us and said, come, eat of my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. May we walk and live in the way of the cross and in the way of Jesus. Amen.